Okay, so hello and welcome back to the All About Belly podcast. I, I, I feel like I say this every guest now, but we have, we have an interesting guest today that we've been wanting to get on for a long time, and I'm, I'm very much looking forward to getting into things here. But Gavin Neat, um, for those of you who don't know, is a master of many trades. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> Kieran. Yes, you could say that I was. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm aware of them. <laughs> I've been involved with them. I'm master. I don't know. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, you've done more than me, that's for sure. Now, um, researching people can sometimes be a bit like, you're like, how can I find information this person, right? But with you, there was a lot of interesting things to get into there. And, um, you know, off the top of my head, I'm thinking, 2020 Entrepreneur uh, of Excellence, was it? Yeah, it? yeah. National that, Diversity Awards Entrepreneur of Excellence. It's mm-hmm. pretty, it was pretty cool feather in your cat there. Well, for a middle-aged, white, single, uh, n- n- straight, what else can I say, non-disabled <laughs> man, being involved and winning an award in diversity is quite unusual, to say the least. <laughs> you, could, you could say that my main thing from that is just single how is that possible <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> uh, okay let's not go in that on, <laughs> we're not going to go down that come route. on ladies what's happening here <laughs> um, but yes you know, it's, it's a really interesting point because we kind of live in a day and age where that is less and less likely and it makes me kind of wonder where, where your sort of desire for, for, for equality comes from Oh, dude, that, that is a super opening question. The <laughs> desire for equality. Um, and it is, it really is. It's a mission as much as a desire. Um, I guess a bit of background is probably useful because it kind of explains it a little bit. So I was born in um, England, uh, in Surrey in 1968. So I'm 54 now. Um, and then at the age of three, my parents moved me up to the highlands of Scotland. Uh, so I'm a real chuchter. Uh And I went to... I sort of grew up in a place called Alt Bay in the Northwest Highlands of Scotland. My Gaelic teacher was Kay Matheson, who was the lassie who stole the Stone of Destiny in the 1950s or 60s, whatever it was. So she was my Gaelic teacher. So I even learned Gaelic in school, although there was three guys in my school. I mean, that was it. Three boys. That was my class. Three boys. Anyway, um, I kind of grew up in the Highlands and then my parents split up and then I moved to central Scotland to Calendar and I went to McLaren High School for a number of years through my secondary school. And then after that, I joined the forces. Um, but a lot of, and I was a, I joined as a policeman and became a police dog handler. But I'd been around animals um, much of my life. My dad was a mountain rescue leader up in the Highlands. Uh, and I just thought, oh, yeah, police, that would be kind of cool because that's doing something that helps folk. Um, and I don't think I ever really sort of put two and two together, but the idea that I could help folk or that I was doing something positive was kind of real a real driver for me because of what I did in the forces. And then after about eight years of being in the military police, I was thinking, do I stay here? Am I going to keep doing this? Do I go for promotion? Am I climbing the ladder? Am I going to do my 22 years? And I got my, my final posting uh, after I'd been in Cyprus for three years was RAF Lucas, which is um, just about 20 miles south of Forfa Guide Dog School. So I used to go up there and do voluntary work because I was in I was interested in the dogs and I was trying to find a job that would be useful to me after I left Guide Dogs. Oh, sorry, after I left the military. Um, and uh, I, I did voluntary work until and I thought, oh, well, I'll maybe become a dog trainer with Guide Dogs. And eventually when a job came up, I went up to see, because I knew the team then, and I said to one of the managers, I'd like to apply for this job to become a dog trainer. And they said, 
actually, Gavin, uh, perhaps you could apply for the job that's coming up that's a mobility instructor. And that's the person who trains the person how to use the dog. And I kind of had done a fair bit of years with dogs at that point. And I, I still like dogs, but I, I thought, wow, to help the person how to be independently mobile using this amazing animal. I thought, yeah, I could do that. That's a that's a cool skill. But all this time, I guess, in answer to your question, I'd had this real moral compass that my mum had instilled on me in me from a really young age, which was do right, balance. I mean, I, I, if you, you have a star sign and people sort of push you towards that star sign, I think people would keep telling me, oh, a Libra, you're a Libra, you're a Libra, that's balance, that's all about things in balance. And I've always been really focused on the need for balance between people and my mum instilled that moral fiber code with me she was one of the 70s feminists who was like no we need equality real feminist like somebody who wasn't just anti-men but somebody who was pro-women uh, and I kind of felt that I had that as well and then eventually I just my buddies were visually impaired people or people who we who needed guide dogs who were visually impaired but maybe had other disabilities and then I didn't see them as disabled. I just saw them as my buddies who needed help. Uh, so I don't know. It's a long-winded way of answering your question. Well, I, I want an answer. Like, we just <laughs> run out of the alley. <laughs> <laughs> well, we run out of time. I'll, I'll warble on all day, man. <laughs> no, no, no. It was just I was like, there's so much to, to, to go on there. I mean, I don't know. I'm trying to think where to start because <laughs> it's it's a quite an incredible journey. Like, one thing that kind of stood out to me there right from the start was when you were saying how you had, like, people in your class at school yeah and it just it's like looking at that now everything's so the world's so like overwhelming in terms of when you're when you're going through school it's like there's you don't get you know much space or much time for self-development that way yeah I, yeah, yeah and i feel like you kind of it almost sounds like you went to animals first as sort of a <laughs> it was kind of a like because everyone says about how how you know, especially relationships with like dogs and things can be such a nurturing thing. Mm -hmm. And and maybe in those kind of early years, have been around animals so much. Yeah, you know, so I mean, I always looked into fields up in the highlands and I'd see a sheepdog and I'd go, wow, that's amazing. But of course, I was around a mountain rescue dogs when I was wee. And then we had family pets and the rest of it. But it was really interesting because ultimately, dogs became tools. I'm not a dog person. I, I love animals and I enjoy, you can, can you hear a squeak? I don't know if that's being picked up on the microphone. Underneath the desk here is a dog. We'll get to her in a minute. She's, but she's, she's thinking, you're not a dog person. I'm not a dog person. You? I love you. It's okay. Um, so when I joined guide dogs, I stopped being a dog person and started seeing them as, <laughs> started seeing them as tools, as mobility aids for mm -hmm. somebody else. And I became passionately, connected to that person's use of the dog rather than my love for the dog mm. so the day that i handed the dog over to that person when i matched the person and said right this is your new guide dog you're now going to work together i never spoke to the dog again and i found that very very easy because i saw the dog as a mobility aid uh, and it didn't it wouldn't have done any good at all if i had then given the dog any kind of love at all because it was it was breaking its bond with me and building a bond with its new owner and then you're watching from a distance and you're going, I'm involved in that couple, that dog and that person's um, relationship. And that became more important than any kind of love I had for the dog. It's kind of a crazy situation to think that dog lovers love all dogs um, without even knowing the dog or what its purpose or whether it's a nice dog. They just go, I love dogs. And you go, 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a bit more to it. It's good though because you're looking at it and going, "There's a bigger purpose to this than me just liking this dog." Yeah, and that's that's. I think that you know it just shows how you had this desire quite quickly to want to help other people. Yeah. and there was a few other things there, like saying your mom was a feminist in the seventies. Yeah, because you know now everyone's a feminist, right? Yeah. But in the seventies, maybe not so much. And it's like that to be a feminist then is to be kind of somewhat ahead of your time in a way. Yeah, well, I guess definitely, obviously, looking at Emily Pankhurst and, and people like this and the suffragette movement, and, and they were sort of like kicked it all off. But in the 60s and 70s, I mean, my mum wasn't, she was a feminist because she felt all people needed to be equal. Mm. She wasn't a feminist because she thought women were better than men or that women needed to be militant in order to get things. She was just, it was all about fairness. And I guess that transfers very easily into the fairness around gender or disability, sexual orientation, religious choices, um, or uh, anything. I mean, there has to be fairness. And when you see other, was it Billy Connolly said, when you walk a mile in somebody else's shoes, he says, you'll understand what it's like to, to live as that person. He said, I think he followed it by saying, and you also have another, you'll have a new pair of shoes. <laughs> so I think it's a case of, um, balance in all things and fairness in all things. Well, you talk about balance, but one of the things you said that I thought was really interesting at the end was just how you were saying that some of your friends in their later life had like gained disabilities and things like that. And, and you know, you mentioned that <clears throat> you mentioned this just before we started recording, but to me, one of the things that I've been making clear on the podcast recently is the fact that whether you're disabled or not eventually at some point in your life it's likely that you will gain some sort of disability through the nature of life you know it's yeah. and fighting for the quality now where you're fully able and being aware of the fact that as time passes we we all lose some sort of you know mobility some sort of thing in our life that we're able to do it now that we may not be able to do you know then and it seems to be this idea that you know we have we have all our able-bodied people and then there's disabled people in the corner. Yeah. But I think the message needs to be that actually disability is like a almost a natural part of life that's going to be somewhat inevitable in some sense. And then it's, a, it's the idea of like, right, well, we all have different needs and wants. Like I always use a comparison of like the movie Elf. I don't know if you've watched the movie Elf before. I have, right? yeah, I've seen it. Uh, it's like Will Ferrell's in the North Pole. Yeah. And... He's a, by our standards, he's like a completely able-bodied human being. Yeah. But he can't find anything to do at the North Pole. They, they can't fit him in a classroom. They can't put him yeah. to a workshop because yeah. he, he doesn't know what to do. Nothing's accessible for him. Yeah. But yeah. Well, it's all been built for elves. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So the, the idea being that he, you know, by our thing, is a fully able-bodied human being. But, you know, you put him in the wrong setting. You put him in a setting that's not created for him, then he's going to be classed... They, they're technically classing him, elves are classing him as disabled. You know yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah. And it's all perspective at the end of the day. It's all mm -hmm. about perspective. But it's all about the world that's been designed for us. Um, I was, it was a thing this morning just on, on Facebook, and it was a, a, a visual impairment group, and they were talking about how they were using apps to get around this open space. So could we use Soundscape or uh, Seeing AI, which is the Microsoft or um, apps that are out there? And it was like, yeah, but we've got to get to the we've got to get to the reception desk, which is in the middle of this open area. So if we use an app to get to that reception desk, then that's gonna be that'll be useful to us. And and I'm like, 
I don't know. Look, guys, maybe I'm thinking about this really weird, but why is the reception desk in the middle of the open area? Why is the reception desk not at the door where you arrive? And we're trying to find all these solutions to help us get around all the problems that able or non-disabled people have created by poor design. And you go, just design it better. Don't. Why are we coming up with apps to 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 make up for all those um, indiscrepancies that non-disabled people have actually designed into the society we live in? You just go design it better. Uh, put the reception at the door, or with the work that I do is make it so that somebody can meet you at the door. If you're not going to suddenly redesign the entire building and you like the aesthetics of having a reception desk in the middle because that looks great or something like that. And there's a, I've seen a few. There's one in Churchill Place, Barclays headquarters in London. They've got a reception desk right in the middle. It looks great. But why not have it so that when you arrive at the building, somebody meets and greets you but already knows that you're coming? I mean, we've got all the technology to do that, which is obviously the work that I do, which we'll get on to later. But um, I was just like, why should we redesign things or why should we come up with new solutions to get around the problems that other people have put in our way. Well, exactly, exactly. I couldn't have said the bit myself. <laughs> you live it. <laughs> it it's, yeah, it's, it's, and do you know, it's really refreshing because there's a lot of people that have good intentions and good ideas, but don't necessarily know how or why it needs to be applied, you know, and yeah. you should have a full, you know, idea of why that is a necessity yeah. rather than just some sort of, well, maybe we could do this, you know, and it's, I think that there's this idea that it's, it's not necessarily like, you know, I, when the pandemic happened, for example, right, I would go and get a train to walk or something and um, like a, a, the train staff would be like, hey, I'm surprised to see you out here, it's a bit dangerous and you're like, what do you mean? I'm trying, I, I'm supposed to just stay in my house all I've got day. things to do. <laughs> yeah, it's like, and <clears throat> there's this, there was that kind of sort of, you know, and I want to get onto the technology side of things that you've done, but you you were in the military, and to me that seems like kind of a it's all you've obviously come a long way and all that, but it's, <laughs> it's a drastic it's kind of a drastic change in career path in a way. Well, it was the I think <clears throat> the in, the thought process is that if you're in the military, you're sort of a bit gung ho and you're kind of more likely to solve a problem with your fists. That's but, kind of what I meant. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but when you're, I was not like that. I wanted to. I never arrested anybody in my entire time as a policeman because I always talked the situation down. I always calmed it down because I saw resorting to your fists would be a, a failure in some way. So I guess I was more socially connected than I was um, with that gung-ho testosterone-led, if somebody's doing something wrong, you beat them up until they stop doing it wrong. I was always the person who would go, if somebody's doing it wrong, why are they doing it wrong? Can we remove the pro the reasons why they were doing it wrong? And can we calm the situation down where they are doing it wrong? You could call me a bit of a sort of soft le liberal <laughs> sort of lefty, but I'm not. I'm more of a sort of social capitalist, if, if, if you're going to term anything. But I was always wanting to calm things down and then understand why it happened and then try and make it not happen again instead of just going, well, if it happens again, we'll beat you up, which is... It's the Lord of the Jungle sort of type thing. Yeah, I mean, I think that one of the great things about that is it just shows how important it is the way that you're raised and, and, and the, the thoughts that are put in your head because we're all made up of different experiences and you obviously had a very, you know, strong role models to look up to. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, 
give you give you strong principles in your mind. Mm -hmm. But like talking about that, do you think that actually having more specific training for policemen about about how to handle situations like oh, that wow. is something that could be useful? Wow, that's good. That's a yeah. super question, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> just, it wasn't something I intended to ask, but just yeah. as you were saying that, then I'm thinking, well, that seems like it would be the kind of approach that that would be more more effective than anything else. Obviously, certain situations require different things. I understand that, but Aye. is it is there enough actual training for that specific thing? Well, I think if something's kicking off, then you've got to be able to stop it from kicking off. And that's not thinking, I wonder what their upbringing is or wonder what they had for tea or wonder whether somebody shouted at them earlier today or whatever it might be. So you've, you've got to stop it kicking off. But then there should be an aspect of policing, as an example, that should be finding out why something's happened and then doing your best to stop it from happening. And this, this is a really complex uh, problem. But I would say it's the same in the health service. It's when you can see something going wrong, why don't you try and fix it? So, I mean, a really good example of that is we know that um, there's an issue with uh, lung cancer. So therefore, we try and come up with solutions to stop people from smoking uh, or educating people as to why it might be a good idea to not smoke as much or what damage it's going to do so that there's personal choice because you don't want to turn around and tell people not to do stuff. Although, of course, we're smoking the smoking ban came in. And I'd be interested to look at stats as to how that's affected things. But... I think the, the truth is it's a multifaceted approach to anything. You stop the incident happening and then you work out why it happened and then you try and treat the core it's like with a plant. You're treating its roots rather than just trying to fix it by doing something on its leaves because that's not going to necessarily work. Um, so I guess that's a sort of de a decent analogy to sort of answer that. Yeah, for sure. I, for sure. I think there's too many people that have a, the only approach is just, you know, they're one-dimensional and it's about keeping an open mind in the eyes and that there's multiple solutions to different problems. Every team needs to be made up of um, a striker and a goalkeeper. Uh, power chair football, there they go, man. <laughs> I, knew bring it in, I knew bring power chair football in. But yeah, every team has to be made up of different individuals. And then outside of the team, you need a manager. Outside of the team, you need a trainer. Outside of the team, you need the person with the orange slices. You need uh, the physios. You need all those people and that's what makes a team. Um it's not just a striker who's scoring goals because if it was just strikers, there'd be enough goals scored against you. So, um, yeah, you need everybody. And everybody's important. Well, exactly. And we will go into post-trouble. <laughs> Good. <laughs> <laughs> but I do want to transition, you know, slightly into the technology side of things and what, what you do in your businesses Aye. and things like that because, you know, it's one thing to want to help people, you know, and, and have this idea and have a good heart, you know. And a lot of people, that's just, you know, giving somebody, someone, someone's homeless some change or, you know, Saying something about each other inspiring, um, <laughs> which is what I get a lot, you know. But like, you actually obviously put a lot of thought into this and thought, how can I specifically help in a way that's not been done before? It's interesting. I that's not the route that I took. Uh, it's the route a lot of people would take. They go right. I need to help. How do I help? What I did was well. I kind of the story is in two thousand and three, I started getting involved as a mobility instructor with guide dogs with GPS. So we had a few people turning up and they would have a big bit of kit that would attach to their hip or it'd be like a laptop and it had GPS on it, very early GPS. And I was like, oh, this is really interesting. Um, I wonder where this is going to go. And then in 2006, somebody turned up with a mobile phone and they turned on voiceover on iPhone. And I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. And then they said to me, oh, yeah, and it's totally free. It's standard on every phone. And then I, my brain was just going, wow, technology on phones has changed and my clients are starting to use it more. And then I was learning on every class as to how people were using technology and we were sharing it on every class, especially when it was raining and I didn't want to go out and get dogs wet and people wet. 
Um, so then I started getting involved in technology. And then in 2009, I was speaking to a friend of mine uh, about a problem I'd seen and a solution I'd thought of. And it was when a blind person gets to a curb edge, how do they find the button to press? And then once they've pressed the button, how do they know when the green man has come on when there's no sound, when it's been turned off? And of course, there's a tactile cone underneath. If you put your hand underneath the pedestrian crossing, there's a tactile cone. But then I thought to myself, yeah, but my client is standing at the curb edge and then they have to go looking for the, the button. And that could be a long way away from the crossing. And by the time they found it, they've lost the orientation to cross the road. And then I just went, well, I wonder if the phone could press the button. And then from there, long story short, I invented the world's first pedestrian crossing operated by smartphones. And we have now two whole towns in Scotland where all of the crossings are operated by smartphones for free. You just download an app, you have the app running, you have the phone in your pocket, you walk up to a crossing, your phone presses the button. Uh, and that was just me going, oh, I think I can do something about this. And I was still working for guide dogs. I put my spare cash into it. I think I had 10 grand in savings that all went very quickly to design the app and the hardware. And then I was like, oh, wow, okay. I've kind of, I've got a solution here that I really, the world should know about this. I mean, there are plenty of opportunities to use smartphone to press buttons, let alone at crossings. And that then led to me in 2015 leaving Guide Dogs because I'd set up a technology company to actually come up with these solutions. So that was the sort of transition to get from uh, where I was, which it wasn't thinking about how can I do more. It was more because I loved Guide Dog mobility instructor work. I, I, mean, I, I was training six people a year with Guide Dog and that was enough for me. I saw myself going all the way through to my retirement doing that. But I just, it was this itch that I had that said, wait a second, a phone could be used to press the button at a pedestrian crossing and then my client wouldn't lose the orientation. And then of course, beyond that, it was like, well, wait a second, a wheelchair user could use that. Powerchair user could use it. Somebody with OCD who didn't want to press buttons could use it. Somebody with a walking aids could press that. Somebody carrying bags or a person with a pram, they could use that. So it became this pan disability, pan everything solution where people could just use it. Well, you know, I've had a lot of guests on the podcast, but you know, just hearing you talk like anything, it's like it's it's actionable because this is something I was just talking about last night actually to a friend is the fact that you know everybody wants to talk about equality. Oh, just does my head in. Yeah, it's it, like do it <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm fed up with talking. I, I'm. We need to bypass the talking. We need to get to the action. Exactly. As Elvis Presley would say, a little less conversation, a little bit more. <laughs> I just had to give my my dad's going to love that if you listen to this. Um, but no, that that's that, and 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 so you know, there's like all these ideas about how you make it work, and and you've actually come up with something that's effective and helps a lot of people. And so now, so like you say, you, you left the dogs to start your own own technology company, yeah. and I would I think it's fair to say you've done pretty well with that <laughs> uh, I'm heading in the right direction but the the destination changes every single day because it's a bit like a mirage you're never getting any closer because you're always wanting more so you're always pushing for the next thing and the next thing and the next thing so I never feel like I'm getting any closer to where I want to be but if you were to say to me if you said look back and see how far you've come I couldn't help but be impressed with that. But of course, there's, being impressed with what you've done is irrelevant when you're nowhere near your destination. So I've, I've got a long way to go. 
um, to get to where I want to be. It's like that Matt, uh, the Matt McConaughey speech. You're always chasing. You're yeah. chasing the person that's like 10 years. But I think that's, in a lot of ways, it's like part of that is just falling in love with the process of it all and realizing how far you came. But then like there's always going to be something else. But what you're inherently doing is making it easier for the next person, like somebody like myself, to 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 try and push through that gate that you're opening. Oh, I don't know. There's people like you, Kieran. Uh, there's so many people who, I mean, I'm, I, I have more connections on LinkedIn and, and social media who are non, uh, who are disabled people um, than I have anybody else. And uh, I know we hate saying that you can be inspired by people, but I'm inspired by somebody wanting to do something. So when you go out there, I mean, I, I <laughs> nearly talking about power chair football here. I go along and watch power chair football as a supporter because I'm inspired by people going, I want to play football and my entire life I wanted to play football because I love football and I'm going to go and play football. And I'm like, I enjoy watching it and I'm going to come and watch it. And I'm never going to be a power chair football, but I freaking, I'm, I'm impressed by somebody who can do it because it's skilled. I, I saw people who were non-disabled getting into power chairs one day trying to play it and they just look like Bambi on ice. And <laughs> I was like, there's skills here. There's yeah. skills here. So I think the, the key difference between the way you're describing inspiration and other people would describe it is the fact that you're based off of the actions that we're taking, what, what we're trying to do, you know, because it's, you're not, you're not inherently inspiring just by being here by being you know in a wheelchair but just living life like because you, know, you could be you could have a disability and just and still be a bit of a waster you know like, <laughs> it's, 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 it's the same for everything isn't it uh, it's like and i think people forget that so what i think is important when we talk about inspiration that is it's defined by the actions that somebody takes rather than just just inherently what they can and can't do, if that makes sense. Well, okay, right. So without blowing too much smoke, you're the captain of the Scotland power chair football team, okay? <laughs> when you do a, a talk before everybody goes out there, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about this. That's how much it means to me. When you do a talk, it's not a talk to disabled people playing power chair football. You're doing a talk to fellow Scotsmen and women who are just about to represent their country in a game against other people who are equally wanting to represent their countries. And you have to inspire them. Now, when I listen to that, I'm inspired by it. That's nothing to do with somebody being a power chair user. That's somebody going, uh, going. I'm inspiring some people here to play at their very best, and that's an in, that's inspiration for me. But I know people that jump out of planes. I know people who are head of businesses. I know. I mean, I'm, like so someone like Martin Sibley, absolutely amazing disabled guy who, who runs Purple Goat. I know somebody like Mark Fosbrook, who's ex Paralympian. I know people like. Um, Mick, uh, Mick Scarlett, a massive TV presenter. He was, in the on 80s. That, he, was on, he was on that side. Oh, yeah, exactly. I'm going to listen to that one. So, I mean, I, I know <laughs> these Sophie Morgan. I know so many of these people out there that are doing amazing things. Uh, John Attenborough, another amazing guy who's, who's a massive football guy and travels around, around the world watching football matches and reporting on it and stuff like that. And how can I not be inspired by that? I'm just like, I would like to do that. And some of the stuff they've done is just absolutely phenomenal. So, why i mean I, I a long time ago i realized that what i did when i worked for guide dogs in the early days what i was doing was helping disabled people over the barrier and then the person would go thank you very much indeed for getting me over the barrier and i'd feel good about getting them over the barrier but ultimately what i realized i'm passionate about doing is removing the barrier so they don't need help over it and when we remove barriers be they physical or social then the person can just get on and do what they want to do now you made a really good 
uh, a point there about some people, I wouldn't have said it ever, but a disabled person can be a sort of waster as well. But that's the same for everybody. Humans are a spectrum of different motivations all the way through. But when the barrier is there, you're less motivated to do it. When you remove the barrier, be that education, finance, ability, or whatever it might be, um, when you remove the barrier, there are less reasons not to do it. And then you have somebody else motivating you, like somebody who's saying, yeah, come and, come and try sailing, or somebody, come and try skiing. Oh, no, but I can't afford it. No, no, here's some funding. Oh, shit, I can't say I can't, say I can't afford it anymore. Um, oh, I can't get there. Oh, no, here's an accessible car, or here's a car, or here's transport. And you go, I've got no reason not to do it. And that makes it easier for the, in inverted commas here, use the word waster, <laughs> whatever it was, that made it, the person who's less inclined yeah. has less reasons not doing it. And that's the whole thing about removing the barriers. Well, <clears throat> okay. So first of all, I love the publisher football point. That was, that was very well put in terms of the way people would see, you know, why you find it inspiring was very well, very well put. I was a bit like, well, that's, that's, a, that's the best way I've heard that before. So, but just to, just to clarify, when I say waster, what you... <laughs> no, no, you didn't mean it. <laughs> the, the point you make about this is very important, though, is that... Is that um, now, <clears throat> I, I, I'm saying that from more, of a, from more of a way that society will see it, in the sense that, like, yeah. I'll get called inspiring by just, like, you know, oh, is 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 He's out having food. That's amazing. He's, you know, <laughs> no, he's brushed like, his teeth. Oh, exactly. isn't he brave? You know, no, just, no, so, 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 but, the, but, so it's more than that. More than that context of how everything's inspiring rather than like yeah. what I'm actually doing. But in saying that, what you were saying about how these barriers, right? It does affect it. Like for example, f for my for my young life, like. I know I'm only 26, I feel like I'm 46, but... Um, <laughs> still younger. I'm 54, so you're still... At 46, you're still younger than me. <laughs> to be fair, you don't look fat at all, don't you? Uh, well, well. Okay, yeah. You need to tell me your, your diet. Or you're like, you lay. <laughs> um, but no, it's like... It's like the, when you have all these barriers, like, for me... You no, know, I've been in a wheelchair my whole life, right? right? So I think you get this idea that everything is really hard. Like, people, people really... Growing up and having society tell you that you can't really do anything, mm -hmm. any dream that you have is unreachable. Playing football is impossible. Mm -hmm. but, you know, being a wrestler is impossible. Doing a podcast is is never going to happen. You know, what I mean? <laughs> yeah. all these things are just not in your reach. Yeah. It's, you can't even. It's like unfathomable. It's it's, it's so far away, right. and so that can be really alienating at a yeah. certain point. And when you have all these barriers, there's such a big fight your whole life, and you go. Yeah. You need if you don't have the right support and the right people around you, that can very easily crush a lot of people. Yeah. So you, you need role models, you need mentors, you need somebody to help remove the barriers. And if you've got that, I mean, guarantee you, there's people out there right now who are going, oh, "I really love Kieran. Uh, Kieran's podcast, amazing. He's got a podcast. Oh, what you mean? He's a Scotland power chair football. Team. He started his own power chair team. You go, oh wow, I can do that." Because, so, I mean, you, you how is that not going to be inspiring for everybody? I mean, that's, yeah, it's awesome stuff. It, well, thank you very much. I, I, <laughs> it's, I, I need, it's awesome I need, stuff. I need to learn how to take off it. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, that's what, that's what I mean. Is like for every person that you hear, like for me talking about it, that's right. There's also, on the flip side of that, a bunch of people with disabilities that you don't hear about because there was too many barriers to overcome. There was yeah. too many things. Yeah. And there wasn't the right support network. Yeah. And this is why it's such an important thing because that feeling that you experience you know, 
it's somebody growing up and you go, well, that's not really, how can I make sure that somebody in my position that's coming after me doesn't need to go through that, doesn't yeah. need to, to feel that, that suffering that you feel. And then I, I had enough people around me and enough support and enough sort of, um, like you mentioned your mum being such a, a strong figure for you. Mm-hmm. And all the strong players around me that were able to yeah. encourage me to kind of overcome that, yeah. overcome those scenarios. But, you know, this is why the lack of support and talking about it is is very key. And I've always thought if I do a, if I do a podcast or something like this and somebody can hear it and go, the who doesn't have those figures and things, you know, people in their life like that, they can go, well, you know, that's something that, like if I, the way I like to look at it, it's very much like yourself. Like, what would have helped me as somebody when I was younger? Like if I if I could have heard something mm-hmm. on a podcast talking about the things that we were talking about just now, mm-hmm. I would have listened to that and, go, and went, hold on a minute, that's actually, that gives me a bit of hope. Yeah. You know, because I think that hope is a fundamental thing for any young person in their life, yeah. especially in your like teenagers going to school and all that, is the idea of like, we'll have these things that we imagine doing and, and people that we look up to, and when you and it it's, it gives you this hope that you can do anything, but when you don't have that, when you don't have that fundamental um, idea that you can live a normal life, or mm-hmm. or or even understand what normal is in the first place. So so beyond that, it's like right, you've got this young person listening to this right now who's going, I can do that, I'm gonna do that, and you've inspired them to go out and give it a shot and to try doing something different. Um, and then they suddenly walk out the house and they hit a brick wall, be uh, the fact that the transport's not accessible, the the pavement's not accessible, they get to a building and it's not accessible, the person speaks to them in a way that's not accessible, they, they look down on them in some way, and it doesn't matter how... The person who's truly motivated uh, is going to push through that, but the person who needed to get motivated by... You, you inspiring them is suddenly hitting all these brick walls. So we need people out there like you. Society needs people like you out there motivating people to be inspired, but it also needs people like me to remove the barriers to make it easier to to actually achieve. It shouldn't achieving something in sport shouldn't just be about whether you can leave your house. It should be how motivated you are to put the work in on the field or whatever it is you're doing. Um, but the trouble is with many disabled people, the barriers are actually how you get to the start line, just as much mm. as they are the actual race itself. And that's that's ultimately where I feel my place is. And I've always said, if I wanted a decent analogy, I'm not um, Lewis Hamilton. Uh, I'm part of the pit crew. So I take a lot of pleasure and always did with guide dogs when I would see the person walking off down the street with their guide dog and go, I had a part in that. What they then went on to do whatever it was, if they were CEO of a technology company or whatever it might be or whatever, then at least I was somebody who changed their tires and enabled them to be able to do it. So this dog's chatting away to me underneath the table. <laughs> it's such a good analogy though. Like yeah. you could you just you couldn't have led on from that any better than that. Because like you say, there's so many things that are stopping us from just being able to get in the door. Yeah. And even because <clears throat> this is the biggest difference. Like if you if you're fully able you don't even need to conceive of that idea that you can, if you put enough work into something, you know, using the sport as a perfect analogy there, mm-hmm. if you put enough work into that, you can become good at it. Whereas 
before we can even think about the idea of applying ourselves to that, we need to figure out a way of getting past all these, yeah. hoop, you know, all the hoops to get yeah. through where we want to be. Yeah. And there's not, you know, so you, I mean, I don't, there's so many areas I want to go to. I don't know where to go to the pouch of football <laughs> first. Or, but, but you, you're, so you're late, you leave the game in 2003. And, um, uh, so, yeah, so 2003 was me getting involved in GPS. 2009 but, was me inventing Button, which oh, is yeah, the I was crossing. Getting the and you and started the box in... 2011 um started uh 2009 started thinking about it started the company and um, in 2012 the only reason i started the company uh was that was the only way i could get help from business gateway which is part of scottish enterprise is the only way that i could get support so if the support was business support if i spent 10 grand i could maybe get three grand back through business support and the only way to do that was starting a company i had no intention even at that point of leaving guide dogs it was just how can i get help to be able to create this thing um and then 2015 after things had started to move forward i was like oh wow i could really do something with this and reach more than six people a year because of all the other things that started to happen at that point so because one of the things that i read when i when i was researching it was the way that you described wanting to decrease anxiety and build confidence yeah. to save people and i thought that's such an interesting way of phrasing that and as i'm reading that i'm going you, it goes back to by taking down those barriers you're allowing us to live life with a bit more freedom and confidence that we can achieve something yeah so I, I i had a hashtag a couple of years ago which i keep which i was amazed it didn't exist already it was called arrival anxiety arrival anxiety is everybody has it it's like we could be anxious about a podcast we could be anxious about going to school we could be anxious about starting a new job we could be anxious about going into a job when we knew we'd messed up the day before. We could be anxious about all these things. And that becomes this anxiety connected to actually traveling to or going somewhere. And I was really keen to address that. But one of the things that I realized was that a lot of the anxiety that disabled people live with is connected to the first point of contact when they arrive somewhere. I, I did a, a project with Sport England um, a couple of years ago, and it was they had done a study and they'd found that the biggest barriers to disabled people getting into sport was transport and first point of contact when they arrived at the venue. And you thought, well, I can't do anything about the transport because that's a big, big thing. And I, yeah, <laughs> what am I do? But what I thought was maybe I could address some of the issues around the first point of contact and not just in sport, in any environment, retail, hospitality, um, health, leisure, entertainment, the first point of contact for a disabled person is normally where there is real friction. Either I'm not going to get in physically or the person is going to discriminate against me or use language that's discriminatory or I'm going to feel uncomfortable or they're going to talk to the person next to me rather than me. And I thought that can lead to a level of anxiety going, here I go again. I mean, a guide dog owner is thinking before they go to a restaurant, especially if it's a restaurant they've never been to before, is thinking, am I going to get through the door? Not physically, not as in like, can I fit through the door? But is the staff member going to come up to me and go, no dogs allowed? And then the start of my nice meal out with my friend is going to turn into an argument about accessibility and whether dogs are allowed, guide dogs are allowed into that restaurant. Who wants to go to a restaurant when you think that you might not get through the door? And you just go... Why would I why would I go there? And that anxiety eventually means that people, especially disabled people, are going, I'm not going out. It's, 
it's a constant fight and that you know just hearing you say that it's, it's there's so many people that I know and even just myself there's been so many times where I'm like I don't even I'm not you, you just end up isolating yourself a little bit there's times where you isolate yourself because you go I don't want to go and through this argument or through this discussion and try to get into this place or what this is going to look like or what the situation is going to be and I think that was all amplified by the pandemic itself yeah you know but yeah. by what has happened the last couple of years yeah where all of a sudden you know through all this progress that you know there's a pattern progress that seemed to be made it was it became we're back to being the burden of the we're back well, to the, being the big problem was that staff changed mm. so all those places that you were comfortable going suddenly became a new staff member oh no i'm gonna have to explain to them as to why I'm allowed access to this particular venue. And that's a massive challenge. And all this massive change of staff meant that they then had to either build a relationship with you, because if you've been going to the same restaurant for five years, then the person doesn't actually need to do any accessibility awareness training because they know you. They go, oh, it's Kieran, he needs this and this because they've learned it on the job. But there are lots of people going to places where they've had no training at all and they don't know the person. And they get it wrong on the first day and the person's like, they were on the edge of not coming out. And now the next day is like, I'm not going out at all. And that's that's a big, that's a massive challenge. That's a, Yeah, that, that's a societal issue that we have right now. And you combine that with the fact that it's become easier to stay at home, just go on Amazon and buy the thing. We don't need to go out. Oh, I don't need to see my friends. I'll just see them on a Zoom call tonight. Oh, I don't need to go to the pub. I've got a couple of cans in the fridge and I'll, I'll just have that and not go out. And you just go, that's not cool. That's not cool. 100% because what you have there is you have people, you know, to, to see people less and less in society. I think that's what we're trying to change is, is a lot of people that don't understand, you know, what we were talking about just now, there were people that listen to this and maybe people that don't have people with disabilities in their life that they don't can't fathom these kind of things. But I think that the idea is that they, you know, by, by seeing, by seeing, more to say people participate in different areas of society mm -hmm. it, it kind of removes that i feel like sometimes we're seen as like the aliens of the world because we're not we're not we're not in we're not in the public eye we're not mm -hmm. um you know for, for for all the for all the like i think in in, in your um for example right if you watch like a tv show right like i would watch tv shows when i was younger and and wrestling shows or whatever, anything, anything on the telly, I think, because so much is dictated through media these days and yeah. stuff like that, yeah. but when you know, a lot of inspiration for regular people comes from just seeing somebody that looks like them doing something. Yeah, representation. You know, I mean, and it, you, you it know, it's increasingly though, we're yeah. getting more and more representation. For sure. Uh, and that's, it's a massive step forward. I mean, you can go too far. I mean, the the latest was it the Lord of the Rings? Uh, it just became all about representation, and then they forgot the story. And you go, no, actually, you need representation and a good story. Uh, and uh, the great computer game, now amazing TV series, Last of Us, which is just it's on its third episode now. There's representation in there. Um, they just had a the episode last night. It was about two gay guys. Um, a, a amazing love story between these two gay guys, and and you go that's representation but the story is the most important thing it's a love story not about it's irrelevant about the representation of a gay person it's two people in love and this story that you follow them through through in an entire hour and if you haven't seen it watch it it's just phenomenal but there's 
there's other people in there who are all representing different things as well. And it's that representation that if you see it, you believe it and you, you then see it as just it's normal every day. And it's happening all the time. TV, you look at TV and you see Alex Brooker or, or somebody like that or Sophie Morgan on TV. And eventually you just, or, or um, I forgot his surname, Adebayo. He's the wheelchair, the wheelchair rugby guy who's now um, TV person. If you see more and more disabled people on TV, Ellie Simmons, oh, these guys, then you go, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I'm seeing that. Somebody yeah. on, yeah. It, 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 what it does is that, you know, it allows people to realize that we are just the same, you know, because I think. <laughs> you totally you know, are. And and it, yeah. And it seems like such a simple thing to say but the fact that you're saying it is yeah. insane yeah <laughs> but like this is kind of what the, the podcast itself is about because you, you talk about a story in terms of a tv show but i think a story is just as important in a real life context of being like yeah. well i want a wheelchair right but can i articulate what i've been through in a way that resonates with somebody that's not disabled yeah. and therefore can we connect through what we feel and our own emotions like the whole point of this sort of podcast and the conversation side of it is when I was trying to figure out a way of destigmatizing things and making it easier for the next generation, if you like, it occurred to me that it wasn't just about, you know, our group, you know, me being disabled and somebody else being disabled. It was more about how we're all human. We all go through these different, different experiences. Like I, I felt, I felt horrible at times when I felt suicidal and depressed and things like that. And then, and then I used to, I used to say to myself all the time, like if I if I could just be if I was able to walk, just oh, it's mad. I just hate that. Right? You, yeah. you would never be you'd never be playing power chair football to the level you are yeah. if you could walk. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, and it's a mad thought to me now. But you know what's crazy about it is that the more I do the podcast and the more the, the older I got, you realise that if I could walk, I would have still probably felt a lot of the things I was feeling. Yeah, because it wasn't really. I mean, obviously the barriers we're talking about are huge but what i'm saying is that as a as a from an emotional connection standpoint you realize that we all whether you're in a wheelchair or not we all go through hard difficult times and it's all about how we're processing it in our minds and what our perspective is mm -hmm. and then and then when you realize that it becomes a case of if i can talk about this to somebody who is you know not not in a wheelchair and fully able and talk about what we've been through and if we can find a connection through that mutual struggle, yeah. then it shows people that actually, wait a minute, you know, they're not they're not that different. Well, <laughs> so one of the biggest problems I think is that we silo, uh, we we pull people close to us who have a lived same lived experience, and we talked about the National Diversity Award earlier. I wouldn't win that if I was part if I needed to be part of somebody else's gang. And I looked around at the National Diversity Awards and I was one of the only white dudes sort of there or, or and I was like, or non-disabled or, or of a certain gender or whatever. And I was like, we need, I, I want to look at a parade on the street. Let's say there's people all marching on the street and they've got placards and I would need to read the placards in order to find out what they were marching for. Because if I looked and I went, right, oh, there's a guy in a wheelchair there and there's two fellows holding hands and there's... Um, black person there's a person in a hijab and there's uh, whatever it might be and i couldn't tell what they were marching for until i looked at the placard but right now that's not the world we live in when we look at um 
yes, to a lesser or greater extent, when we look at the people marching, they're all of a certain community. It's only when we all march for everybody else that we can then make a difference. Because we can't just say, when I, I, I get really frustrated, there's a, a word, and I understand why it exists, um, but it, it's uh, ableist. So we talk about people who are non-disabled as being ableist, and we, we might look at a non-disabled person as being ableist even before we find out what their feelings are. And that is kind of falling into that trap that was set for disabled people, which was making our minds up about somebody before they actually, and we've got a title for it now. And you go, that's not the silo we want. Everybody should be together. And we should have allies uh, across the board. Everybody should have allies from different groups and welcome them into the group. But of course, the group becomes, feels like it's less strong when there are people in the group who aren't, who aren't part of our group, who aren't, who aren't part of that silo. And I think that's a real challenge. That's a real challenge, uh, which is why I like mixing with disabled folk because I want to prove to them that I'm an ally. 100% Gavin. I mean, so what do you think in terms of the, in terms of your mindset on this and, and what you're saying about the, the point about ableist there, I think it's spot on. Like, a lot of people would, a lot of disabled people in that group would look at you and just assume He's like, you know, he's a white straight male. He probably, <laughs> yeah. he probably doesn't give a fuck about you know anything that's going on with me. Um, so it's, and that's understandable because yeah. that might be their experience up to that point. Ah, uh, yeah. But you kind of need to know somebody first. Well, for sure. But it made me want to ask you, like, what, you know, because you obviously have a very good mind for this. But what do you think needs to be done in terms of actually helping people have that have that understanding of it from from your standpoint? <sighs> You know, if if you were to talk to a group of a group of white straight males, for example, in a room, right, who all kind of had um, flawed ideas of what disability means mm -hmm. and what the the whole concept of it is, mm -hmm. what is the, what do you think the beginning point would be to to try and break through that wall that they the, of the of the of the ideas that they have about that? So it's such a massive question, but I think if I was going to give that one answer that I thought was going to be useful it would be diversity within employment i would say if you've got diversity in your employment let's say you've got a company of 100 people and you look into that company and you go right gender 50 50 you go yeah we've got um well i mean 20 percent of the population is somebody is somebody living with a disability of some sort you go well 20 percent of this group should be disabled in some way or at least self-declare and have no problem at all self-declaring because they know it's not a negative it's not seen as a negative uh, and you go, the makeup of my hundred people should be a reflection of society. Because if that's a reflection of society, if I'm making a product, it will reflect what society want. Uh, and if I'm selling it to somebody, I'm selling it to people who are going to go, yeah, I understand that these guys have designed that for me as much as anybody else. So I would say if I'm, if there's that group of people that, that all look as if they're, because bearing in mind that they might all be, might have five white dudes, but one might be gay, one might be have been born in Zimbabwe, might one might be from America, one might be a CEO, and one might come from poverty. And you go, well, there's diversity in there anyway. But we have to not make our mind up about somebody else, but also um, welcome diversity into our world. And that could be working in a company, owning a company or something like that, but it could also be friendships. Uh, be open to friendships with people outside of your particular silo um and, and how you do that i don't know but it's maybe just putting yourself out there and not being 
not pushing people away when they show that they want to be part of your gang uh, or your group. Uh, so I would say diversity is key. I think that's a perfect answer. I mean, you don't have the pre basically you don't have any preconceived ideas of what somebody can and can't do, and what their opinions are. You know, and 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 yeah, you know, when you talk about divert, you know, having having more opinions from different backgrounds is going to inherently enlighten a lot of people and give them a different perspective as to what somebody else is going through or how this has happened or what all goes on. Because there's so much where it's like, well. You don't you don't know if you don't ask yeah. and you're talking about when you talk about friendships and things like that i think that's a big point for even just <clears throat> socially if you're growing up with a disability or whatever your whatever your situation is i think because one of the big points you made earlier was the idea that when somebody is in like is fully able and then becomes disabled they, they treat themselves as if they you know, the way they would when they were not disabled. Yeah, their attitude towards themselves is based on their opinion of disability and disabled people before they became disabled. And if they had a negative opinion of disability and disabled people before they became disabled, they'll have a negative opinion about themselves. Whereas if they had a positive attitude towards disability, if they knew somebody who was disabled who was more successful in business than them or more successful in sport than them or more successful in media or more successful in any way or just as successful, they'd be going... I don't need to feel negative about disability because I already know amazing people. I, I don't get scared about losing my eyesight. And there's a reason for that. It's because I know amazing people who cope with no eyesight. So I'm not scared by disability in the same way. I, I don't have a personal fear of it. And I'm not, I know I'm going to be disabled at some point. We all will be at some point in our lives, um, either long-term or short-term. Um, but I'm not afraid of it because I know that there are amazing people that have shown me why I shouldn't be afraid of it. For sure. I think that comes from like awareness and knowledge. And you're talking about, you know, the key being diversity and in, in the workplace and things like that. So what was it like for you in terms of organizing your own business and company? And then, you know, because you go from having one idea and it goes really well and you go, how, how, and then you end up turning that into a whole full scale. <laughs> it's a freaking business. Full yeah. scale business. It's not easy. Uh, I had no, I mean, I left school with two O grades, uh, joined the military, uh, joined Guide Dogs for the Blind, dog trainer for 28 years, really. Who the hell was I to think that I could start a business? But of course, I wasn't thinking I'll start a business. I was thinking I need to fix a problem. And the business thing just came with it. And then all of a sudden you've got people, you, you could potentially get that imposter syndrome. You go, why am I? But I was, I never got imposter syndrome because it wasn't, I'm going to be good at business. It was, I'm trying to get to a destination, which is fixing this problem. So I wasn't trying to be the, the Elon Musk or something like that. I was just trying to fix a problem. Um, but there is so much that gets in the way. Um, skills, knowledge, awareness, other people's opinions, other people's attitudes, taking more on board of other people's opinions than you need to, not taking on board people's opinions when you need to. Uh, and you don't know that until you look back, beating yourself up when you're looking back because you made a mistake, not beating yourself up before or, or giving giving yourself a pat on the back when you're actually not at your destination. Uh, all these things are reasons why things don't work necessarily, but they're not necessarily things that mean it doesn't work long term. And I think ultimately, if somebody wants to be an entrepreneur or entrepreneurial or fix something, 
They've just got to realize this is like getting punched, getting back up again, getting punched, getting back up again, getting punched and getting back up again and getting back up again and getting back up again. Because the day you don't get up means the day that you don't succeed. And that's the I mean, that's a sporting analogy. It's an everything analogy in life. You just have to keep going. And um, I I was disabled in inverted commas by my lack of awareness of how to run a business. But I was enabled by the fact that I knew where my destination was, which is exactly what I'm, I'm close to achieving <laughs> oh that's amazing so so i mean from from when you started to know what do you think your your biggest change as a person has been has been that's a great question my biggest change of a person i've become more um wow that's a super question my biggest change as a person uh, i've been i've become more confident about what i'm trying to achieve and i've not allowed people to necessarily um if somebody's distracted me from that or said you need to change direction, I've taken on board what they've said. I haven't ignored them, but I've always kept in my mind where the destination should be. So my destination hasn't changed, but maybe my route to it has changed slightly and I've just rolled with the punches a bit better. Um, I've not been as disappointed when things haven't gone well and I've not been so happy when things have gone well. I've been much more level with everything. So I, I guess the ability to deal with it. I think a good analogy is when you first drive, if you were driving a go-kart, uh, you might be scared when you got to 25 miles an hour. But if you kept driving go-karts that got faster and faster, you're eventually driving a Formula One car and you're doing 220 miles an hour and you're not fussed by the speed. That's because you've kind of incrementally got used to the pressure you're under. I think the pressure, I can handle pressure, no hassle. I don't get worried. You put, If you said to me right now, Gavin, you're going to go to... Um, you're going to go to Murrayfield and you're going to stand up and you're going to sing in front of 20,000 people. I would go, I'll give it a shot. And it mm. wouldn't phase me in the slightest. I'd be thinking, right, what message can I put across there about inclusion? <laughs> I'd be thinking, how can I get my message out there? But I'd be like, yeah, brilliant, I'll do it. Let's just do it. It's a great analogy. <laughs> I think that a lot of people, especially today, struggle with the idea of pressure and stress and anxiety and things like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. How do you cope? How do you stay calm in that in that moment? And it's, you know, like you say, it just comes from constantly put, constantly, you know, putting yourself in those situations and, and, and the more say you... Say yes all the time. Yeah. <laughs> the, but the more you overcome it, yeah. the more you start having a bit of a belief in yourself and going, yeah. if I could deal with that, maybe I could deal with this and so, you know, so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to actually employing people for your business, like, yeah. how has, because you were talking about how the biggest key for you is diversity in the workplace, like, yeah. is that... There's obviously something you take very seriously, but when yeah. it comes to actually finding the right people, oh, it's tough. It must be a difficult, difficult. Um, yeah, it it has been tough in the past for so many reasons. It's like I can put a job ad out, out ad out there in a traditional sense. I put it on LinkedIn, say for instance, and I will get less disabled people applying for the job even though I'm desperately trying to find disabled people to apply for the job. I love the idea that somebody working in my company is a subject matter expert. And if they've got lived experience, even better, because that makes them a better employee, um, especially when you're designing things to help disabled people. You want people, subject matter expert um, is a parent, could be a parent of a disabled child, but a person with lived experience is somebody who's lived with a disability and they're experts, for God's sake. Why wouldn't I want to employ them? And I've even got a hashtag, which is employ20, hashtag employ20, which I started, which was 20% of my company will be disabled people. Um, or people directly connected to disability, disabled father, disabled child, whatever it might be. So 20% of that, so it's employee, employee 20 is the is the hashtag for that. 
but yeah, I mean, it's it's a massive part of what I want to deliver. Not just they say that we want to see more actors who are disabled, but we want more people behind the camera who are disabled. We want more people involved in script writing and all that kind of stuff. So we're not just seeing it. It's not just representation. It's actually scratch the surface. It's deeper. And I don't want to just provide solutions for disabled people. I want disabled people to be part of that solution provision. Okay, well, I mean, I must say your answers to this. I'm listening to it and I'm, I'm just enjoying it now. Like, you're making <laughs> me what, saying it. You're making me what I'm up here. I'm like, oh. <laughs> Come on, work for me, man. Come on, work for me in a moment. If you weren't so freaking busy doing what you're doing. <laughs> well, so, okay, so... I know a lot of people in Powers of Football will be listening to this conversation. And do you know what was funny is when I first seen you, like I remember going around and saying to people, who is it? Who's Gavin related to? Like, why is he here? What is his <laughs> Because Because I was supporting at the, yeah. at the football, yeah. Yeah. And it's so where does Pilcher football come into this? Like, because you've obviously become very passionate about it. And, yeah. and I obviously you're cheating on wolves and. I just wolves. <laughs> so, you know, how did that all start? Oh, it's weird. Um, so, I mean, I, I, yes, I, I, people had asked me that several times when I went along to support. I'd be like, uh, so which which is your friend or who are you caring for or, or stuff like that? And I'd be like, no, no, I'm just a supporter. And you suddenly go, wait a second, where are the supporters? <laughs> uh, and it's it's actually people who are attached, uh, attached to the people that are there. Uh, and I go, no, no, that's not that's not where it is. But the reason I got involved in power chair football was because I lived in a block of flats where uh, Chris Jackwin was, and I used to meet him in the uh, I meet him in the uh, the lift on the way down, and I got chatting to Chris, uh, and we got onto the same bus at the same time, and I was talking to him about pedestrian crossings because I, I watched him getting across a road, and I was like, how the hell does he do this? Because he can't couldn't press the button, but he was brilliant in his chair, and I just started chatting about power chair football, and he said, oh yeah, we've got a team, Lothian Wolves, who just started, we haven't played yet no no i fancy coming along i'll come and watch you play see what it's like and then before you know it i was like i bought scarves uh and i had i got i my company started sponsoring the loathing loathing and wolves football team uh power chair football team uh and i was going along on a weekly basis to to sterling uh to go and see i went to uh, i went through to dundee a couple of times and i i love my team uh the guys are awesome uh and they won um trophy last year which was just freaking awesome because i mean it's brilliant for them uh and yeah they should it's about time edinburgh had a decent football team <laughs> <laughs> you got you got everything on the west coast <laughs> yeah, no, the um the, that fight that cup that they won actually they beat my team in the final so there you uh, go, so there you go. <laughs> um, <Great team. laughs> no, no, it's, it's so amazing because this is kind of exactly what I'm, i've been trying to do for the past like three years is when people talk about football, there's a lot of money in football these days, right? Like, you look at the English Premier League, it's off the charts. And there's a lot of talk about how the passion it's kind of slightly dwindled a little bit because it's became such a, almost like a soap opera in some ways at times. Yeah. It, because of the amount of money and coverage it gets. But when you look at Pilcher football, it has this skill while also still having the that like the raw passion that's kind of missing from serious passion in the in the players hey. but you've got to control that passion more than even regular football you have to control the passion because you can't just suddenly materialize yourself two foot back if you're heading in a certain direction you're not turning as quickly you've got to read the game so much better uh, and teamwork is so much more important because you can't just hit the ball up because it just goes out and then gets hit out by them so you have to play it to somebody or or have a tactic that once it's been hit out, we can then close in to actually stop them hitting it further out. So, yeah, the tactics are awesome. And the, the brains in it are 
it's like geometrist. You guys need to know the angles. I love it, Gavin. Could not, normally I have to sit and explain. No, Paul will tell you. I've, I've sat in podcasts so many times and been like, "These are the rules, and this is what's done." And and people don't quite know what I'm talking about. But just to be with somebody that no, I get it, man. Isn't even it. like doesn't play the sport, but knows exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. We should get you in a chair one day, man. Uh, no, no, no. I'll leave it to the professionals. <laughs> but I, I uh, after watching Wolves for a while, I then watched Scotland play, and then of course because I kind of got to know a lot of the players, not the, just the Wolves players, because yeah, of course it's about supporting my team. But I believe all the power chair footballs are equally relevant for support, which is why it's really cool to go along and watch Scotland play as well. And you, when the guys all queue up and then sing the anthem, you just, it, I might as well be at Murrayfield, man. <laughs> it's freaking awesome. Yeah. And if people are listening to this and they're going, uh, yeah, I've not seen a game yet, go along, be a supporter. I think it's important. 100%. I mean, I think as well, though, like, this is what I mean, is if we can get it more in the limelight, you know, more coverage of it, there's loads of people that would enjoy watching it just like you. And, yeah. get, and I would love to get to a point where we're playing a league day or a Scottish Cup or whatever, and there's there's a crowd of people that are watching it. Yeah. That, that's what you want. You want to have, because I, I've been in the game for a long time, and my goal now over the last few years has is, is became more and more so, how can I make sure that this is here for when I'm gone? Yeah. You know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Legacy, you know, man. Legacy. I, I need to make sure that it's still here because, you know, when I came into it, I came into the sport as a very sort of damaged young man mm-hmm. who who didn't even feel comfortable being around people in wheelchairs. It was very like, oh, I don't know, because I just felt so uncomfortable in my own skin. Mm-hmm. So you're just around people when you're going, this isn't. But eventually I started to become comfortable with it and started to enjoy it. And you started to realise that, you know, like somebody like Thomas Pettigrew, for example, like yeah. you meet somebody like him and, and you have oh, a... There's passion. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's bottled passion. <laughs> You're, you're talking to him and you're going, you know, he's he's a bit like he's a bit like me. He, he you know, he he has the same sort of passion I have, and and you start going, all these people that <clears throat> that, are, that I thought I was, you know, I thought I was just it was just like you kind of going to mainstream school and being the only one in the wheelchair. You kind of think, am I the only one that's going through this? Yeah. And then you meet all these people. And, yeah, 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 yeah. And the other thing as well is, so you have that community. But it just changed my whole perception of what I could do. And I remember it was how I actually started going to the gym and things was realizing like I wanted to do well for myself and my team yeah. and, and be able to deal with pressure more and anxiety and things like that. And, and, I, and I wanted to work harder and by doing that brought my team and myself more success. Yeah. Um, but as the years have gone on, like me and Thomas, for example, were on the same team for, for years. And then he obviously went to rules, which which was a very brave move for him, but and, <laughs> and great for us. He's been very, he's been very <laughs> successful. He's one of the best. Yeah, um, and I know he will listen to this, so hopefully he's listening. <laughs> well, yeah, he's in a he's in a great team, I and mean, we've got yeah. some super. Chris is for an sure. amazing player as well. I mean, and they're I, amazing. I think a lot of talent in that team, and for me, it was a case of I, I had been in. We formerly known as Clyde, now Strathclyde, mm-hmm. um, been in that team for a long time since its exception, and um, I decided that looking around the sport, you know, I'd realized I got to the point where it was kind of heading in the same direction to where I, my, if my main goal now is to grow this mm-hmm. and to get and to, and to get more eyes on it and more people playing, yeah. how can I do that? Well, the most effective, most effective way for me to do it is I'm not at a point now where I'm at a level I can, where I can come out of this team, make, it, make another team and bring up people to where I'm at and have mm-hmm. them enjoy it to the same level. So there's a bunch of players that were going to leave the sport, for example, and I and I knew that 
Do I want to watch them leave for my own individual success or do I want to go help them and, and, and make sure that we have more people playing and more people watching and more people part of it? Do you know what I find really cool about that is the fact that you're, and you said it right at the very start, you were a, a damaged individual. You no longer think about yourself. You think about the bigger picture. The The bigger picture has no room for you to be insecure or nervous or unsure or or any of these or damaged because your your sights are on the destination which is the legacy of leaving behind something important and that itself has meant that you don't look you don't internalize you go this is important because i need to give a good speech to the team it's not about i'm not very good at giving speeches it's about they need me to deliver a rousing speech so it becomes less about you and more about what you were trying to achieve and that i think in a world where we all, because of social media and stuff, we're all going, I'm damaged in some way. I'm not as good as other people. Where you go, forget about looking inside yourself and go out and do something that is for the bigger picture, that is trying to achieve a bigger picture. And I think then you stop thinking about yourself as much. Well, I mean, you know, you know something, Gavin? I tell you this right now. Like, <laughs> go on, Kieran. And I, <clears throat> I don't often say this, but for me... One of the things about this sport that's, that could be quite sad is that I've been playing it from the very first session, and we've we have lost a lot of players. Um, yeah, I know. We've sadly recently, passed on. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, when you when you when you when you're in it for the start, and you and you realise how many funerals you've been to, it starts to ruin you a wee bit. Like how you start going, this needs to happen now, I need to make sure this is... <laughs> yes. like, yeah, it can they, make you desperate, can't it? <laughs> these people need to be remembered and I need to make yeah. sure it's here for the next person and, and you know, people need to know how important this is, why this needs to happen. Yeah. Um, but, do you know, we had, we lost somebody recently, Ben Hetherington, who yeah. played in the first ever Scottish Cup with me. We won it together. We won it together on the in the first tournament that was ever played in two thousand twelve, and um, we've been in the same team up until this season just now. And um, do you know, it's just it's been one of these things where, like, like you say, there's no room for me to be there's no room for me to be um, introverted or overthinking things or or just necessarily mm -hmm. not focused on what the goal is. Um, but the but life has a way of beating you down sometimes and just constantly being like, oh, this is tough. You know, this is a pretty tough thing to deal with. And and for me, it's been it's been a difficult thing to process in the sense of you look at it and you go, I've had this sort of thought of how come these guys aren't here anymore, but I'm still lucky enough to be here, even though I've had all these struggles and times where I maybe thought I didn't want to be here. You know, so then you start going, how come I had that? I've got the privilege that they don't have. I'm still being in this spot, being here a minute, we talk about this, and, mm -hmm. and that is kind of been something that has been difficult for me to process for the last sort of couple of weeks. Um, and you know, it, there's a part of you that lose just you just lose a bit of a faith sometimes, and just hearing you talk about this stuff is. I kind of needed it, Gavin. Like, <laughs> oh, I got, I, I got, in which case, I'm so chuffed. I'm I got so to be chuffed. honest because it's like it, it just it gives you the hope of you'd exactly your whole perception and ideas about it is exactly what I'm trying to accomplish. Yeah, and it kind of gives you that bit of faith back of being like, well, you're not you're not uh, alone. There are plenty of people out there trying to do the same thing. And when you were explaining there, and, and I know that we've lost a couple of amazing players over the last couple of years and, and great folk, 
uh, although I knew them as players more than folk. But um, there's there's a lot of uh, um, comparisons here in the forces because people would just be in Afghanistan or wherever it was or in any combat, you just lose somebody, and you're trying to trying to get that squared away in your head. And how can I continue doing what I'm doing, having lost one of my buddies that I was chatting to five minutes ago? And we've all got to try and deal with these. But when it comes to disability, there are increased chances of that happening, especially if severe um, disabilities. Um, and of course, in dangerous jobs, these things happen as well. And half of the battle is um, being able to compartmentalize it and then move forward and take a punch and get up again and take a punch and get up again and get up again. <laughs> For sure, and I think for me it was one of those things where I don't, rather than letting this beat me down, I'd rather it makes me want to do more. Because there was a there was a part of me that was like, I do do a lot, but there's there's an element of it that you you have moments where you just forget that that's possible. Yeah. In terms of, I don't think of people these people in wheelchairs with with severe disabilities that could potentially pass away early. I don't look at it like that. Mm -hmm. I look at them as my friends, as people that I know that, that are going to be there. I've all, I always imagine, you know, me, me, me and Ben had 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 a, some disputes at times on the pitch and different things and different areas of life where we, we got on really well at times and we got on not so well at times. But you, I just, it was one of those things where I always, for some reason, was just like, in 10 years' time, we, we'll be sitting down having a beer talking about how ridiculous and petty all that stuff was. Yeah. Um, and then... You, you had this sort of abrupt reminder of why this is this. There's a time sensitive thing to this yeah. of like making sure that people are enjoying this to the fullest. Every time we go and play, every time we're doing something, making sure that there, there's moments to be had for people every time that we're doing it, yeah. rather than just you know. So it, it was kind of an abrupt reminder for me that this is this is something that's it's there that you can't forget and that. Um, when you have a chance to give more and, and be that bit supportive and be the bigger person, you should always, always choose it mm -hmm. because you never know what's going to happen or what's around the corner. This is why you were chosen to be the captain, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is it. Well, some people, some people might argue that, but <laughs> <laughs> I've seen it. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> I will say that you know, for me, it's always it's always just been a case of what what did I need? What kind of person did I need somebody to be for me to be? To feel part of something, to feel motivated, to feel inspired, and I mean Thomas Baker is a good example of that. Mm -hmm. We, I hope it doesn't make me telling that story, but it's just it fits. You'll switch. Him. He can turn it down. <laughs> he, uh, you know, we were going to a, we had a big league day many years ago where we were trying to compete for the league title, and it was a situation where we just, we, if we didn't lose, we'd we'd effectively have sealed it. We had to not lose the game, basically, yeah. to win the league. And then the, the the day before this league day, there was a big decision for the Scotland team yeah. um, as to who was going to go to Belfast and who was getting cut. There was, oh, yeah, no, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Thomas, unfortunately, that time, he, he made it the next year, but that time he didn't make the cut yeah. for going to Belfast. Yeah. And we had a game the next day. And I, I knew how much I wanted to go and how much, how devastated I'd feel if I wasn't going yeah. and he was a really big part of our team like I knew if we were going to do well in the game he had to perform he had to have a really good game and, and, he, and, he, and, I, and I went up to him I messaged him and we spoke and I just said to him like you are the best goalkeeper in Scotland like 
you need to go out and show these guys that they were wrong. They were, they were wrong for not taking you. Yeah. Go and show them that. And I think it was something along those lines. And the next day, he and he attested this, he had the best game, <laughs> the best game I've ever seen a keeper have yeah. in Pelletia football. Like, like the amount of saves he made that day that were just top draw. <laughs> like 10 yeah. out of 10 saves. Yeah. And we drew, I think we drew the game one each or two each. Aye. And he played a huge part in that result that, ended up winning this league so it comes down to how can you it's not about it's not about saying something that suits you but figuring out a way of what does that person need you to say in that moment and how can you say in a way that connects with them you it, it kind of goes back a little bit to the removing the barriers you remove the barriers to his belief you remove the barriers to his self-doubt uh, and you weren't helping him over a barrier you were removing it you were saying i believe in you and that was enough for him to then go out and yeah, well, I'm going to go and prove it. He he had the motivation himself because he's a very motivated guy, but he he just needed you to help him do that, and that's why he was able to deliver. I kind of see myself in that role as well, not the guy who's um, doing it, but the guy who's hopefully helping to remove those barriers to other people achieving what they their potential is. I think that's the best thing you can do with life, but yeah, yeah. I also feel like I don't know if there's any better of a note to wrap up on than that. Like, how long have we went for all that? That's like kind of fluent, doesn't it? It's freaking awesome. And I look, I didn't even talk about welcome, which we'll, know, I'll come back and do it another time. God, I mean, I mean, the fact that we've not even spoke about that. Yeah, I, I do. Maybe we should finish on that then. We'll, we'll go. We'll go. We'll, I want to touch on it a little bit at least. Yeah. Welcome, because I, I was reading about it and I was really fascinated. Oh, it's massive. It's going to change so, the world. Yeah. So tell me how that's possible. How, how so, yeah, going, yeah. So, how are you going? That's a good final question. How are you going to change the world? <laughs> how are you again? changing the world? Yeah. So think back to, I think earlier in the podcast, I said, um, when you arrive somewhere, if somebody understood who you were and how, how you needed to be helped, well, that's what I noticed when I was working for guide dogs, I would turn up at a house or a building, a shop, and the, and the staff member didn't know how to interact. And then I thought, well, okay, wait a second. What if I was able to communicate through my mobile phone with the staff member before I walked through the door? And that became welcome. Welcome became the first way of communicating and delivering staff training and awareness of disability. And it's really, really simple to use. You just go to the internet, you put in my, my dot well, well hyphen co dot me. That's my dot well hyphen co dot me. And that takes you to a website where you set up a profile, you look down a list of venues, you pick a venue. If you decide to go to that venue, they instantly, just by you saying you're going, all of their staff get trained on disability awareness just by saying you're going to that venue. And that became welcome. The very the world's first proximity-based smart uh, tool for disability awareness in all venues. We've got 170 venues across the UK now and Ireland, just about to launch with um, Glasgow Science Centre and the IMAX. But we're in woo, Edinburgh Council have put it in, Scottish Parliament, we've got it in Edinburgh Airport, we've got it in loads of venues in Falkirk, it's just growing all over the place, um, Westminster Council, it's in loads of sports centres across England, um, and it's, yeah, welcome, well-co.me, my.well-co.me. That, I mean, that is definitely going to change things a lot. It's exactly the thing we need, and, and you've already got it, I mean, in such a short space of time, really, you've got it in, in, in an incredible yeah, amount of It's places. growing all the time. We won, in 2020, we won the World Summit Award for Inclusion and Empowerment of Disabled People, which is goal 10 on the Sustainable Development Goals, which is massive for the United Nations. Um, so, And we were the first company in the UK to win it for like four or five years. And um, so 
for a tiny wee Scottish company for Edinburgh, where you chucked her at the, <laughs> the, at the heat. Um, it's not bad, not bad. But I'm so keen. I want all parachair footballers out there and anybody else who's disabled who's listening to your podcast to go to that website. And we can. I'm sure you can leave a link to that somewhere and actually join us. And the beautiful thing about it is that when somebody goes to a venue and they don't have it, if they request it, it goes to my sales team. We contact the venue and we say, we've got one, two, five, ten, a thousand people say that you should have it here. And then they're going to have it there as well. And it's free. That is absolutely amazing. And I will definitely put this in the, in the, in the description. Yeah. Like we'll get everybody signed up to this because it's exactly the kind of thing. We can I mean, change the world with it. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a bit blown away by that. Like, is it, who, who is this guy? Man? Is, it, <laughs> is this crazy stuff? Like, <laughs> it's, just, it's actual doing stuff. It, so many years, it's so many people talking about what is going wrong, but we need to address things by doing things right and then promoting the people that are actually doing it. Um, we don't get anywhere if we talk about the amazing power chair football team we'll have one day, if only one day could get off, somebody could sort of go and do something about it. We actually go and do it, and that's obviously what's happened. So it's all I, connected. I could not agree more. And I mean, look, I want... I, what I say is this, you are welcome back here any time, man. There, <laughs> I want to come back. It's, there, it's so cool to talk to you. There's so much that we, there's so much that we could talk about. I could talk to you all day, I, oh, yeah. and I and I want to keep in touch with you. Um, but I want I want that to be the note that people will remember about welcome. Yeah. That, that that is definitely something that I want everybody to to get the app because even just having that idea where it's if you go somewhere it doesn't have it, you can instantly request it request it and then we'll make sure that they address it and sort it and then it empowers the disabled person to dictate the level of service that they get it's just it's it's amazing it's exactly the kind of thing we need so oh, i just want people to, to to if there's anything to remember from this podcast remember that but right at the very did it right at the very end <laughs> exactly i mean I, do you know what it's funny because when like before, before i came in i was like that's going to be the bulk of what we talk about right as no, well there was too many other important <laughs> things to talk about but look I've done a lot of these and I've done about 80 podcasts by this point and this was something that has came at a really good time for me and I really I really felt empowered and positive by your energy and the way that you spoke and what your company's doing and how you, you know, you just your personality and your perspective is something that I think can empower a lot of people and, and you know, I'll be pushing this conversation to the moon and back. So thank you very much, Gavin, for coming in. Kieran, it's a, a joy, a real pleasure. It's been a long time coming, but I've been looking forward to it. Very well worth the wait. Thank, thank you very much, Gavin. Thank you.